Hey there, my name is Ryan Hughley, and I'm lead pastor of Ridgeline Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Our goal is to help as many people as possible meet and mature in the Jesus of the Bible. For more information about our ministry, visit our website at ridgeline.church. If you enjoy the podcast, consider subscribing on the platform of your choice. Thanks again for listening, and I pray God's Spirit uses this message to revive you in a fresh way. Let's get into this if we could today. If you have a Bible with you, why don't you go ahead and grab it or an app you like to read on. Uh, I'll meet you in just a few minutes in Joshua chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible this morning, all the scripture is going to be up on the screen. So don't worry about that. You can follow along right there. But I want to start like this. There There is something in us that resonates with stories that we either hear or see of people who are facing impossible problems and enduring challenging circumstances. When we see or we hear a story like that, there's something in us that resonates with us. And I think that's one of the reasons why some of my favorite movies like Star Wars and The Avengers and Harry Potter, why those stories resonate with me so deeply. In Star Wars, you have the underdogs of Rey and and Finn and Poe, and they are leading the resistance against this impossibly powerful First Order. And then if you've seen the Avengers, you might remember how the Avengers teeter on the edge of defeat against the seemingly indestructible Thanos. And then you have Harry Potter and Ron and Hermione that have to face this far more experienced, far more dangerous Voldemort. And so there is certainly more than one reason why we resonate uh, with stories like this and why we're drawn to stories like them. But, but one of the reasons is certainly because there is something in their struggle that resonates with us in our own. You have to think that part of it has to do with the reality that we find ourselves in in the midst of the problem, as we find ourselves in the midst of, of problems, we, like we see in them, we feel scared. We feel insufficient to deal with certain problems that we come up against in our lives. We feel incapable of overcoming certain things that we experience. And so even in these fictional accounts of others doing so, we are encouraged and we are inspired. But what I find curious, both in myself, but I think probably also in us as well, collectively, is that even though we resonate with stories of people facing impossible problems and enduring difficult circumstances, we are prone to run from any difficulty that we can in our lives. And so I, I think that's curious. We, we love to watch others prevail against their problems, but we evade all the difficulty in our own at all costs. And the problem with that approach to life is, even if you're going to follow Jesus, which I know many, if not most of you listening, have made a decision that you want to do that, but even if you're going to follow Jesus, you have probably realized by by now that your life will be marked by seasons and situations that feel painful, even impossible to endure. Hashtag 2020. You will face obstacles that are impossible to overcome by your own power. And if you're going to follow Jesus, God's call on your life will be more than you can handle. It will be more than you can manage. It will be, at times, more than you can accomplish on your own. So people say, God never gives you more than you can handle. The problem is, God never said that. 
He frequently gives us more than we can handle on our own. And, and many of you, like, that's not just rhetoric. Many of you are, like, experientially in that place in this moment. You feel the weight of that right now. And so this question that we want to wrestle with this morning in the midst of this is how do we face and endure and overcome these seasons in our lives that are marked by problems that are bigger than our own ability? I mean, think about how do, how do we go about killing uh, indwelling sin, that maybe we've been battling against just the same thing for years. How do we overcome that? How do you love and honor an unbelieving spouse? How do you forgive those who sin against you and hurt you? How do, you, how do we love our enemies the way that Jesus has called us to? How do we share the good news of Jesus with those who don't know him? How do we honor God and how do we honor one another during what may just be the single most divided season in our entire generation? How do we face, how do we endure, and how do we overcome these seasons marked by problems bigger than our own ability? And to answer that question, uh, I want to spend a few minutes this morning in the Old Testament book of Joshua. And as this great book opens, we find a man facing a sizable problem that we're going to talk about in just a second. But the truth is, this text that we're going to look at this morning has far less to do with Joshua and his specific problem, and it's far more about the God who is with him in it. And so this morning, I want to talk about God's presence in our problems, God's presence in our problems. So if you haven't yet, go to Joshua chapter 1. Um, I'll fill this in with some context in just a second, but let's go ahead and turn our eyes to our Bibles or the screen and, uh, and listen with me to Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. The book opens like this. It says, After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. And then in verse 2, he says, Moses, my servant, is dead. That's how he starts it. So let's pause there for a second and talk a little bit about this guy, Joshua. Specifically, I want to talk about the position that he finds himself in here at the start of this story. Uh, if you don't know, we actually first meet Joshua in the Old Testament as a military leader in Exodus chapter 17. In that historical account, if you were to go read that later on, you would read of Joshua defeating Amalek in battle while Moses stood up on a hill with his arms outstretched praying. And the Bible says that on that day, God made the sun stand still momentarily so that Israel could be victorious in this battle. Joshua then goes on to serve as Moses' assistant, going up Mount Sinai with him in Exodus 24. He would stand outside of the door of the tent of meeting as Moses would meet face to face with God in Exodus 33. And he was among the 12 spies that Moses sent in to spy out the promised land in Numbers 13 verse 8. And so here's, here's why all that background, understanding, if you didn't know anything about Joshua and you just drop in on this story, you'd be like, well, I understand why this guy's like freaking out. Um, but, but you need to know all that because you need to know that, 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 that Joshua was not new to this stuff. All, all, all of this points to the fact that Joshua was an experienced and uh, a competent and a called military leader. And none of that makes the position that he's in here in verse 1 any easier for him. Because notice that, that God starts his commissioning of Joshua saying, Moses, my servant, is, is dead. And as we learned, as we just read in verse 1, Joshua had served as Moses' assistant, and now Joshua has to step in to Moses' shoes. And I got to tell you, there are no bigger shoes 
that Joshua could have been called to step into. The book of Deuteronomy, which is the book that comes just before Joshua, where we are right now, closes recording the death of Moses. And I want you to listen to what it says about him. This is in Deuteronomy 34, verses 10 through 12. If you have a physical Bible in front of you, literally look back one page. This is what the, the Deuteronomy closes with saying of Moses. Also, I got to tell you, I feel so good that I'm not on this little like two by two stand at the ministry center. So if I just start roaming back and forth, I've been like a caged lion. So I feel so much better. All right, listen to this. This is what it says about Moses. No prophet has arisen again in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He was unparalleled for all the signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do against the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, to all his officials, and to all his land. And for all the mighty acts of power and terrifying deeds that Moses performed in the sight of all of Israel. Now, if you're Joshua, that is an unbelievably overwhelming epitaph of the guy that you now have to follow. Like Joshua was a great leader, but he was still a human and so based on what God says to him uh, in these coming verses, we, 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 are, we are pretty safe to deduce that he must have felt a tremendous sense of fear and inadequacy with what he was being called to do. Because imagine being taken over for the guy, taking over for the guy that God says, there has never been anyone like this guy before. That is like getting hired to fill a position and then on your very first day, they sit down with you and they're like, uh, listen, we... Uh, we, we all pretty much know there's no universe in which you're ever going to be as good as the last guy. Like, we settled for you. We know it. If you don't know it yet, you're going to find out real quick, okay? Like, this is, we honestly, like, we don't even know why we, why we bothered hire. Like, have you heard about the last guy? He was spectacular. That's the position that Joshua finds himself in here at the start of this whole thing. And so in the example of Joshua... Right, right within one verse, I think we learn a very important lesson about God. And that lesson is this. God always calls his people to tasks that only he can accomplish. And there are, there are things in your life, God hasn't called you to lead like this big military battle into some promised land, but God has called you in to problems that you are incapable of accomplishing on your own. Only he can do it. And that's true of so many of the emotional, the relational, the financial, and the spiritual problems that so many of us right now are currently facing. If we can look on God's call in our lives and feel anything other than a deep sense of dependence on him, we are simply not seeing it for what it truly is. Like Joshua, we're all called to things that are far beyond our own capacity. And so when you read, Moses, my servant is dead, your circumstance is different. I understand that. But when we read that line, Moses, my servant is dead, I, I want you to think about how you feel after the loss of a job, the death of a loved one, a severe breach in a trusted relationship, a disappointing turn of events, or how you feel in the midst of painful circumstances that just don't make sense to you. Because while the circumstances might be different, that's exactly where Joshua is here at the outset of this chapter. And if Joshua's position isn't difficult enough, notice the impossible problem that God places in his lap. Look at verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now you and all the people... 
Prepare to cross over the Jordan to the land I am giving the Israelites. I have given you every place where the sole of your foot treads, just as I promised Moses. Your territory will be from the wilderness and Lebanon to the great river, the Euphrates River, all the land of the Hittites, and west to the Mediterranean Sea. Now, if you are familiar with the overarching story of the Old Testament, or if you're not familiar with the overarching story of the Old Testament, we might miss the fact that Joshua's problem that God's calling him into right now was actually a part of God fulfilling a promise that he had made years prior to a man named Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And that promise that God made to Abraham had three parts. First, there was a promise that God's people would be fruitful. God was going to build an entire nation through Abraham's offspring. Secondly, God promised that, uh, that there was going to be blessing, that they would be a nation that it would experience the undeserved relationship with God that he chose to give them by grace. And then finally, there was a promise of a place. Now here's the thing. By the time we get to Joshua 1, God has made good on two-thirds of that promise. He has made them a nation, and they are living in a relationship with him, but they have not yet been given the land, even though God had tried to give them the land just a generation earlier, but Israel failed to trust God. And so here, here was the scene. God had promised to give them Canaan. That was their promised land. But the spies that Moses sent in and the people were so cowardly that they would not trust what God said. And so as a result, they were put into a position where they had to wander around the desert for 40 years until that entire generation died off. And then Moses dies. And now Joshua is standing with God's people on the eastern bank of the Jordan River, looking out over this promised land, and God says, okay, it's go time. But now, remember, Moses is dead. And it's been so long since God had promised them the land. And so based on, again, what God reassures Joshua with, you have to think that he and God's people had started to wonder, man, I wonder, has God forgotten his promise to us? Like, did we finally push God so far that we have gone past the promise of his covenant? Has our sin forfeited his provision? And so another great lesson from Joshua 1 is that no matter what, God always keeps every promise he proclaims. In fact, in Joshua 21.45, Joshua will write, if you were to read ahead, not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. And that wasn't just true for Joshua. That's true for you too. God has promised not a land to you necessarily, but God has promised that his grace is sufficient to help you through every difficulty. That's in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. God has promised that he will see through to completion the work that he started in you. That's in Philippians 1, 6. Jesus has promised that he will return and he will wipe away every tear, he will solve every problem, and he will put every single thing right that has gone wrong. That's Revelation 21, 4. God will keep every promise he proclaims. And so this problem that Joshua faces is difficult and the task seems impossible, but notice that the problem of it all did not come without a significant promise and specific instruction. Look at verse five. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. I will be with you. 
Just as I was with Moses, I will not leave you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous, for you will distribute the land I swore to their ancestors to give them as an inheritance. Above all, be strong and very courageous to observe carefully the whole instruction my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left so that you will have success wherever you go. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. Haven't I commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, we're going to break all of that down briefly in just a second. But, but first, it's most important that we see how God's commands coincide with his promise. And by that I mean that these commands that we see here, be strong, courageous, be faithful, these commands are the consequence, the result, or the byproduct of the promise that God made. So essentially, God says, because of what I've promised you, here's what I want you uh, to do. Here's what you're going to be able to do. And so God promised Joshua two things. He promised him success, and then he promised him that he would be with him. He promised his own presence. And, and, and most amazing for you and I is that God has extended this promise not just to Joshua, but also to us. God's promise to Joshua is echoed in the New Testament. In Hebrews 13, verse 5, we find the exact same words of these words being echoed. God will not leave us and he will not abandon us. And in Matthew 28, verse 20, Jesus says, remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so in light of of this promise, I want you to notice how God calls Joshua to do three things, and they still apply to us today. So here are three things we can do because God is with us. And I think these are three timely commands in our current cultural moment right now as well. Three things we can do because God is with us. Number one is this, because God is with us, we can be strong. Because God is with us, we can be strong. Three times, God tells Joshua to be strong. Now, this is a very common command throughout the Old Testament. It appears dozens of times. And it especially makes sense right here because remember, God had commissioned Joshua to con conquer this promised land. And that was going to require tremendous strength. But most important, we cannot confuse the source of the strength that God calls us to display. Remember, this command to be strong, it flows from the promise of God's presence. And so the implication is that Joshua finds his strength in the promise that God is with him. And so what we're seeing here is a description of what Jesus says to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Paul had what he called a thorn in his flesh. No one knows exactly what it was, but it was a humbling and a heavy burden in his life. So much so that he begged that God would take it away. But God chose not to. Instead, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. And so here's the thing. Fundamental to a biblical understanding of godly strength is the belief that it is borrowed. Fundamental to a biblical understanding of godly strength, the strength that we're called to here, is the belief that that strength is borrowed. Um, one time I was uh, at the gym when uh, I had an experience that some of you have probably had as well, especially guys. It doesn't happen as much to girls at the gym, but some random guy came up to me and asked if I would spot him on the bench. It's 
never my favorite request because it's just awkward in every possible way. But specifically, I am what doctors refer to as a bit of a sweater. And so when I work out at the gym, I sweat profusely. And if you've never spotted someone on the bench, you stand over their head and bend over and hold this bar. And I've got this real fear that a drop of sweat's coming off my bald head straight into his eye, forcing him to drop the bar and die. Regardless of that, I chose to be courageous that day and I said yes. And so I come over and the guy's like, dude, I'm going to do five reps. And I was like, I barely care. I just went out of this situation. So he lays down on the bench and he does this whole workup thing that was ridiculous. And uh, he, he pulls the bar up off the rack and he struggles through the first two, but he gets two. And he's like, I want to keep going. And so I have hold of this bar. And so what happens is he did two reps and then I did three. Okay. <laughs> Now, that being said, how silly would it have been if that guy jumped up and started to dance around like, do you guys see that? I did five reps, man. I would be like, no, you didn't. You did two. I did three of those reps myself. Now listen, all joking aside, that is a humbling picture of the Christian life. Fundamental to a biblical understanding of godly strength is the belief that it's borrowed. And so here is why our seasons of even severe weakness are such a gift to us. If you're in a season right now, I know that we all are in differing ways, but maybe right now in this moment you feel like the crushing weight of the moment you're in, the, the kind of weight where you're like, I'm not sure how I'm going to get through this day, much less this year. There is a way in which that those seasons, painful as they are, are a significant gift to us. And that reason is that human weakness is a stage from which God desires to display his infinite power. And apart from those seasons, you don't experience the power of God in your life in the same way. And so Christians are not called to look down inside of their own hearts and find the strength to go on. We're called to look up to God, who is infinite in his power and promises his presence with us. Because God is with us, we can be strong. And that's not all. Here's number two. Because God is with us, we can be courageous. Because God is with us, we can be courageous. Three times also, God tells Joshua to be courageous. Now, there is simply no way that Joshua doesn't feel some sense of fear due to the position that he's in. I mean, think about it. He has lost the man who has led him for years. Now, he bears the weight of leadership on his shoulders, and he's been given a military mission put before him, which on paper promises almost certain defeat. And into all of that, God says, be courageous. Now, you know what I think? I think that at face value, that's not helpful advice. My dad was uh, an ER doctor, which for the most part was awesome growing up. Uh, for instance, when uh, I hardly ever had to go to the hospital or to the doctor when we were sick. For the most part, my dad could take care of us at home. That part was amazing. What wasn't awesome is that in addition to being a doctor, my dad also thought he was a comedian and uh, not funny. So what would happen over and over and over again is every time I'd come to him, I'd be like, hey, dad, when I do this, my arm hurts. And he'd be every time, okay? He still does it today. Dad, my arm hurts when I do this. He'd go, oh, really? Don't do that. <laughs> and no one laughs. No one's ever laughed except him. But he laughs every time like it's the first time that joke has ever been said. 
And so this advice from God to Joshua feels a little bit like that. Joshua's feeling fear. He's lacking in courage. And then God says, hey, be courageous. Oh, well, thank you. I hadn't thought of that. But listen, here, here's why this isn't that. Remember, God has already promised to be with him. That's why he can say, be courageous. God hasn't given you and I this standalone command to be filled with courage because we're so in control or because we're so in charge or because we're so capable. Our courage as followers of Jesus is rooted in the character and capability of God himself. Because of who he is and because of his promise to be with his people, we can face whatever it is that causes us fear and we can, in fact, choose courage. Because God is with us, we can be strong and we can be courageous. And then finally this, because God is with us, we can be faithful. We can be faithful. You know, God puts a disproportionate emphasis in these verses on the importance of obedience. Of the 92 words that God speaks here, 45 of them are directed at Joshua's need to be faithful to God's word. And so I don't know about you, but I find it a little bit curious that God gives Joshua a military mission, but he gives him no military advice here at the outset. There's no battle plan. There's no marching orders. There's no top secret strategy on how God's going to get this done with them. All the emphasis is on his need to remain faithful to God's word. And the reason for that is that Joshua's success was rooted in something spiritual rather than something strategic. Joshua's success in conquering the land was contingent upon his faithfulness to trust God and obey what he asked because it was God who was going to do that work. And so as a result, God urges Joshua to immerse himself in his word. And so at this point in history, that would have been the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. And God tells him to meditate on it day and night so that he will know exactly what faithfulness looks like. And this command again has everything to do with you and I. Because our success in life is contingent upon our faithfulness to God. And before we run away with a sentence like that, believing that the Bible says that we're going to have success in everything we do if we just obey God, let's qualify that. Because the success or the blessing that flows from humble obedience to God's word is success or blessing as defined by God himself. And so the promise that God made to Joshua was that he was going to give him the land. The promise that God has given to you and I is that he will grant us the peace and the joy and the satisfaction that results from knowing and being known by Jesus. And the truth is the greatest success we experience in life, the greatest work that we can commit ourselves to is growing in depth, communion, and intimacy with God. And so here's just a very practical question for us. Are we meditating on, which just simply means to dwell on, to think deeply about, or to truly contemplate, are you meditating on the word of God for the purpose of knowing his heart and his mind so that you can be faithful to him? Is that a practice in your life? And even if you, you find parts difficult to understand, even if you're busy, we're all busy, Will you find a way to meditate on God's word so that you can walk faithfully with him? 
Now here's the reassuring news of Joshua chapter 1. This is our big idea this morning. If you're taking notes, uh, I would summarize everything we've talked about like this. God promises his power and presence in every problem he calls us to. God promises his power and presence in every problem that he calls us to. And so if, if God, I was thinking about this on Friday, if God uh, promised me that he would answer one prayer that I prayed for our church, I know exactly what I would ask him for. I wouldn't have to think about it. I wouldn't have to reflect on it. I wouldn't need even a second. I know exactly what I would ask for. If God said, hey, Ryan, you get to pray one thing for Ridgeline, and I promise I'll say yes, what would it be? I would ask God to help us know in our souls that he is with us. It's the most important thing that we could possibly know. Experiencing God's presence changes everything. More than anything, I really believe that it would cause us to run to him, to make us strong, to make us courageous, and to make us faithful. As a, as a dad, few things bless me more than feeling one of my kids slip their hand into mine in order to find courage. And that's exactly what God wants from us this morning. See, the reality is this, this story is only a small scene in the greater story of Scripture. Joshua prefigures a greater leader. Joshua means God saves. And the New Testament teaches us that God saves through his son, Jesus. God was so committed to being with his people and defeating our great enemies of sin and death that Jesus himself took on flesh and dwelt among us. He was strong, he was courageous, and he was perfectly faithful. Even to the point of death on the cross, Jesus was and he is Emmanuel, God, with us. And so if you're here this morning and you are not a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to take the scarred hands of Jesus that bear the proof of his desire and his love for you. He's given everything for you. I want to invite you to drop the weight of trying to be your own God and to trust Jesus by faith. Now, if you're here this morning and you've already committed your life to Jesus, which I know is, is many of us, you've committed your life to following Jesus, I want to ask you a simple question. Um, are you? Are you actually following Jesus? Are you relating with him? And if you're not sure how or you feel burned out on what that has meant to you in the past, maybe that's where you're at. I went through a season like that a long season about a year ago where I just felt like I've been following Jesus a long time. I just feel burned out on what this looks like for me. So if you're not sure how to follow him, what that looks like practically, if you feel burned out on what that has meant for you, um, I, I, I want to invite you to a seminar that I'm going to do in a few weeks over at the ministry center called Sitting with God. We're going to do a two-hour seminar on November 14th, a Saturday morning from 10 to 12 called Sitting with God. You can register for that. Pastor Tyler will tell you how to register for everything in just a minute, but you'll do it just like a regular meetup. There's only going to be space for 20 people, and if that fills up fast, then I'll happily do a second one. But I think one of the deepest and most profound things that God has taught me in the last year is a very different experience of intimacy with him through just a fresh way of sitting with him every single day. 
And so if you've grown weary in what it means for you to follow God, then I just want to invite you to sign up and to come. Uh, and I'd just like to share from my own experience and from God's word what he's invited me into over the last year. But my prayer for us is that we would experience in our souls God's power and his presence in every problem that he calls us to. And so let's pray and let's press into his presence together even now. Will you pray with me? Bow your heads. Father, thank you for being a faithful God. Thank you for being a God who fulfills and delivers every prom prom promise that you proclaim. Thank you that you never call us into something that you don't also accompany us in. And so, Lord, we just need to be reminded this morning that you are with us. Some of us feel alone. Lord, maybe the last few months for, for many has, has just felt very isolating and they have wondered where you are in the midst of it. And I just thank you, Lord, that even when we don't feel your presence, it doesn't mean that you're not there. But this morning, I pray that you would help us to know that you are with us. And Lord, that even in the midst of our weariness, even in the midst of whatever weight we're carrying right now, because you're with us, help us to be strong, help us to be courageous, and with your help, would you help us, please, to remain faithful. We love you. We need you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.